Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and I'm so excited to have a conversation today with my co-host, Tamarcus. What's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Glad it's getting warmer here in Plano. Yes, it is getting warmer. We also have our very own Jamin Roller, pastor of the church that Ty and I both work at, Citizens Church, and he's going to be leading us in a conversation about something that I think is really important to the life of every Christian, but that conversation is about doubt. Maybe before we, well, let me let me set it up this way. Jamin and I were talking offline a little bit, and if you look at everything the Bible has to say about doubt, I think it might lead you to some confusing conclusions. There is a sense in which if you look at how David talks to the Lord, it seems that God welcomes doubt because David at times is saying things that, man, it it, it even seems to maybe call God's character into question, you know, the way he talks to him. Where are you? You know, how long? All in, in other Psalms, you know, from other Psalmists have similar kind of emotions towards the Lord, including doubting where he's at and what he's up to, what he's doing. And then there's other places that seem to welcome doubt as well, if you look at Jesus's ministry. But then there's also other places in the Bible that seem to warn against doubt or offer a strong word against doubt. So maybe Jamin as we come to you, maybe you could set that up a little bit more and then maybe draw a distinction or help us find some clarity. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you. It's so glad to have you. It's uh, I know a lot of y'all's guests are usually people that you don't talk to often. And so all of this is new for them, but talking to each of you is not new for me at all. We talk every day. Talking to you with a mic and headphones on is, it is new. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like you, it. You have a really calming voice for a podcast voice. Nice. So, yeah, it's true. Well, I don't know why I'm not invited on more mm-hmm. if that's the case, but. Because I need a place to talk about things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me step into your space, Adam. I, if I were to pick up where you left off, Adam, and this isn't, I don't think this is comprehensive, but if you read the Bible to cover to cover with the question of how does the Bible talk about doubt, I think you'd find a couple of different things. You would find verses like the one that we find in James, in James 1 verses 5 through 8, James talks about asking for wisdom. And he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so that's really strong. Hmm. And so you get these places in the Bible where doubt is just very clearly forbidden. And there's no way to like wiggle around that. The language is too clear. Mm-hmm. But then you see other places in the Bible, to your point, Adam, where you see followers of Jesus, the people of God, being honest about their doubts. And then that makes it into the Bible. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. It's the Psalm of Asaph. And he mm-hmm. starts with this declaration of what's true about God. He says, the truly God is good to Israel. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He's describing doubting a crisis of faith. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so he's saying, okay, here's what I know is true. God's good to Israel. 
And then here's what I've experienced, that it's actually the wicked who prosper. And he's being really honest about in between what God says and what I see, I'm having a hard time connecting the dots. And obviously it, it, it ends in a really great place and it's a really beautiful psalm, but the the implication seems to be that God is okay with those kinds of honest, you know, struggles, experience. And then you see Jesus and Jesus's ministry seems to have this, you know, doubters welcome type of, of invitation. Thomas is having a really hard time with his doubts and, and Jesus doesn't show up and scold him. Jesus shows up and, and shows him his scars, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, what, what do we do with all that? What do we do with this passage and others like it that are like, do not doubt. And then passages where it's like, oh, this person's doubting and praying to God about it. And then Jesus who, who seems to welcome doubters. Hmm. What, what do we do? How do we make sense of that divide? And I think we'll let, let me say this. Maybe we can start before we answer that question is just to say two things. One, connecting it to personal stories. So maybe I would ask you guys, do you doubt? And if you do, what's it look like? And then the second thing is we are a show that talks about culture as well. And so I don't know that we're going to answer it right now, but I do want to set us up to say, I think there is something about our age that if you're not doubting what you know, you're probably not on the internet. (laughs) And here's what I'm trying to say. I think modernity is set up in such a way that it's, there's so many sources of information. There's so many claims of equal authority on both sides of an issue that it's hard to know what's true. And so I, th- I think what I want to say is in our culture today, I, f- I think the experience of doubt has to be almost ubiquitous, whether that's doubt in, in your faith or that's just or doubt in anything, you yeah. know, it's almost set up to, to keep you off kilter. And so I think it's a really important topic to talk about. But let me add, let me start and so let's get there. Let's let's connect it there later, but let me start off just by asking what do you ever doubt and what's your experience of that, Ty? I would say yeah. For the for the sake of example, I think there's a an acute time I remember experiencing doubt which actually culminated in where I am today, but I remember I went to a I did a dual credit program in high school/college. And I had a teacher who was like just adamantly against all things Christianity. Long story short, being in her class, being heavily involved in my church, you know, hearing the things about the Bible, hearing people refute the Bible, I was just caught in this like, what is like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. How do I make sense of this? Also having some of the experience of, it's funny you brought up Psalm 73. I felt like so much of that was my experience at that time too. It's like, here I am trying to, walk with the Lord and be faithful and do these things. And it feels like things are just going downhill for me, health-wise, family, financially, all kinds of things. And I'm looking at people around me, no consideration of God. And it outside looking in, it just looks like they're just on the rise. And that, yeah, that culminated into just a, a crisis of faith moment that uh, in the end ultimately doubled down where I stood in my faith and it was from conversations around that time and just yeah diving in with mentors around that time that actually led not only to me being more confident in my faith but even taking steps towards ministry and like I say the the path got kind of set me on the day so there's that kind of early experience of doubt in my life kind of was like a set a kind of foundation of how mm. I've been able to 
continue to navigate when when seasons of it arise. I think that was probably the most intense. Mm-hmm. But just being able to carry that to the Lord, carry that to folks that I know can point me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, having a faith that even when it doesn't feel super clear that like there is this hope that like God, like God is is with me in this and mm-hmm. he's there's something on the other side of this. It just feels really tight and, and, and dark maybe in the moment, but yeah. What about you, Jamin? Oh man. Doubt is a persistent acquaintance in my life. Mm. Not a friend, mm-hmm. not necessarily an enemy, but it's, pers- I, you know, and there are some times where I am on a Sunday morning driving to church to preach and I will have these not paralyzing, but these intrusive moments of like, is any of this real? Mm. Is any of this real? Do I believe what I'm about to say? You know, and sometimes it's that kind of, that that degree of like, to, and to be fair, that doesn't last long. I feel right. like those are more kind of disruptive and intrusive. And, and then also too, it's like my drive to work's not that far. So it's like <laughs> I get to, get to church. And, but I, I mean, I think there were, you know, my little brother was born with spina bifida. So he's paralyzed from the waist down. So we grew up in children's hospitals. And, and so there's a kind of doubt that grew in my life as like a looking around at all of this pain. And nothing says this world is not the way it's supposed to be like a children's hospital. And so having to deal with that, like the mystery of what God allows and, and, and his goodness at the same time. When I was in eighth grade, I was coming home from a mission trip and the guy driving the van was a hyper, hyper Calvinist. <laughs> And I know that's not what this episode's about. Maybe it's worth talking about. So what I'm about to say is not anti-Calvinism at all, but the way that he talked about it, and it was kind of the first time I was introduced to that version of, of somebody talking about election and God's sovereignty. And, and what happened was from that, probably a five-year period of trying to prove in my mind that I was chosen by God. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the children's hospital doubt is like, oh my gosh, God, are you who you say you are? And then the, you know, eighth grade to however long am I chosen doubt is, oh my gosh, God, am I who Mm -hmm. you say that I am, you know? And then I think too, just that natural thing we all go through is that the first time you you hear a really smart person make that argument Mm -hmm. that God doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and you don't have an answer and it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of that kind of freak out moment happened for me my my first semester of college. So I think about those three things, right? It's like the, it's like the children's hospital doubt, like, oh gosh, how can you allow these kinds of things? And then, you know, junior high and on doubt, wow, am I a Christian? Mm-hmm. And how do I know if I'm a Christian? Because I feel like the rules just changed. Mm-hmm. And then that, that the first time that you ever experienced somebody who could out intellect you. Mm-hmm. And, and here's what's true. I don't think I moved past any of those. I feel like God in his kindness has led me to answers in all of those that I have to keep coming back, back to. to. Yeah. 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 I think there's something really important about what you just described. And that's this question that I, we haven't answered yet. I think we're get, get about to jump into it, but like the question of what is doubt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a professor once in philosophy that said, and I think he was quoting from somebody else, but he just said, doubt is the impetus for belief. In other words, doubt is that starting place of 
a cognitive dissonance, an uncomfortability with a truth you have heard that you need answers to. Mm -hmm. And so it's this questioning process that leads to belief. If you don't care, if you don't have a question about something, then it's not going to result in a, a strong belief about something, right? So that, that's one idea about doubt is it's this uncomfortability with a truth that's going to lead you to ask questions. But I, I think Jamin's categories are less philosophical and more true. But as I think about it, it's like, I think the natural, I think doubt can be really scary. Mm -hmm. And so I think even sometimes there's a hypersensitivity to questions. We've all met and maybe been at times in our lives the the kind of easy believism type of person who's just like, no, I believe it. I don't want to, I don't, don't ask me questions. Don't, you know, there's a, a almost a fear relationship to questions. Mm -hmm. Are all questions about God doubt? You know, that's a, that's a question I have sometimes, you know, it's like, there's a, so to Jamin's point, you, you can doubt God's character without doubting whether he's real. So it's like the problem of evil or something goes exactly. wrong yeah. in your life and you start to ask, does, are you really a God who cares? That's, that's a type of doubt, right? But you're not doubting God's existence in that moment. You're doubting whether God, to your point, is who he says he is. Is mm -hmm. he actually good? You're doubting the goodness of God, not that there is a God. Mm -hmm. And I think every Christian has that experience if they face suffering of what, am, what, do, I, what do I believe about God now? You mm -hmm. know, There's another type of doubt that is maybe more intellectual or philosophical that's like, or maybe to, to say it another way, where you're struggling with a particular truth in the Bible. You know, I have intrusive thoughts. And so I was, I was telling Jamin before we recorded, it's like most of the doubt comes in now. It's like I'm reading the Bible and I'm, I'm back in Exodus and the Red Sea parts. And there's just this intrusive voice in my head that's like, that couldn't have happened. You know, and I'm like, what? You know, and it's almost annoying more than anything else. But there is a, a doubting. But it's like that. It's like, wait a minute. Do I wait, God created the earth. What is that? Like, is that, could that have been evolution? Could that have been not, what, you know, what do we do with these, you know, dinosaur bones and Nephilim and all these things that God doesn't, you know, are, are, what do we do with all these things God doesn't speak about or doesn't speak clear, necessarily clearly about oh, like, right. how do I, so there's that intellectual struggle. And then I think there is the, the bigger thing of like, is God, is there a God, you know? So there's a, you're doubting faith, you're doubting your own faith, you're doubting something intellectually that has to do with God, or you're doubting something morally or character-wise about God. And there's probably more versions. Does that make sense what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. I think it's important to kind of categorize or think about those. And then I also just, I, I want to get into it because there is a warning that James is saying, but I also have heard so many I was listening to, I think John, I think his name's John Lennox, but Lennox, he's a, a Scottish or British guy who debates people all the time. And he, he was talking about how Christianity is really welcomes questions and that even kind of the scientism of today and even the atheism of today isn't skeptical about its own beliefs. And, and I kind of took pride in that, you know, it's like Christianity's okay with doubt. And I've heard that a lot. And so it's like, now I think I want to move into that that section where we explore, but there are places in the Bible where it says not to doubt. So what are we talking mm -hmm. about there? So maybe Jamie, if you have any comments about that, and then we can dive into maybe James as an, as an example. Well, I think maybe in terms of this age, mm -hmm. doubt as being, you know, somewhat ubiquitous. Yeah. But even in that, there are extremes around it. Yes. That I think are really important to talk about where there's the kind of reaction to doubt 
that reacts to doubt by holding out like an over-realized faith, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, it places, it it maybe places a lot of responsibility on the doubter for their doubts. Mm. And it would sound like if you just had more faith. Right. right? That's really good. Or, and then maybe even goes a step further than that. And it's like the reason why you're you're sick Mm -hmm. is because you don't have enough faith. Right. Or the reason why this thing in your life hasn't changed. And so I think a lot of our doubt can be a response to this, you know, I think the theological term would be over-realized eschatology. And you've got these different kind of streams of Christianity that will that will connect the strength of your faith with the circumstances of your life. Right. And things get really confusing and all that. Right. 100%. So Jesus does say things like, you know, if if your faith is the size of a mustard seed, then you can move mountains. But he's saying that to guys he's spent a lot of time with who still don't get it. You yeah, know? Yes. yeah, yeah. And who guys who then go on to do incredibly things with an incredible amount of faith, uh-huh. you know. But I think there's that side of things where it's like there's a there's a voice that needs to be silenced around the doubt conversation, and it's the one who would who would make these really over who'd offer these really oversimplified answers. Mm-hmm. And and what they have a, a way of doing is is not welcoming questions and not honoring struggles and those kinds of things, right? So if Asaph in Psalm seventy three is saying, "Man, I I know God said He's good to Israel. I'm seeing the wicked prosper, and I'm doubting with that." There's an overrealized faith that would say something to him like, "Believe harder," mm-hmm. you know. And and if you do. Things will change. Things will change. And if you do, then you'll be the prosperous one and the wicked will, you know, shrivel up and die or something. Theologically, I think it's important to pause on that real quick and just say what that what the effect of that does. I want to be careful, but I, I think in some ways I don't want to over an, offer an oversimplistic answer. But I think in some ways what that does is make you God. It makes God smaller and you bigger. It, <laughs> it puts the emphasis on the strength of your belief, your ability to muster up faith and belief and whatever, right? Which then m- makes God have to respond in a certain way, right? So if I, it's it's another it's another performance narrative. If I do it like this, God has to answer like this. Yeah, it's not quite as clear, but I do think it's important to say that. And at the same time. I would also say I want to have more faith. Like I do want more faith. So I don't think it's wrong to want more faith or to have a stronger faith. And yet I don't think it's right to make that mistake Mm -hmm. of saying, if I had more faith, God would bless me in the particular way that I want. Right. The work of the more faith for the sufferer isn't necessarily that the circumstances that bring the suffering change. Right but my response mm. in the suffering can mm. change. Mm. And that's a different a different hope in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what it does is it it um it treats as uh, unusual what you see as a normative experience for followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. Um uh, and and what you know what what God make what Jesus makes space for and ask and seek and knock. Jesus would like teach in a parable and then his disciples would be like, hey, can you please tell us what that means? You know? <laughs> yeah. And he would tell them. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot going on there, but it's like there's, there's space for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a, I think there's a side of, of the doubt 
you know, a side of the spectrum that like doesn't make space for it at all and, and, and treats it like it's some sort of anomaly. I think the other side, mm-hmm. and I'd love y'all's help thinking through this, but that treats doubt like some sort of badge. Mm-hmm. Like it in and of itself is not good, mm-hmm. you know? Right. It's, you can have healthy, res- you know, responses to it and stuff, but it's like that, uh, whatever is happening now where it's like the, it's, Here's what I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want. There are people who just have this sincere, yes. honest trust in God. I know what you about to say. And you mm-hmm. watch them go through something, and you think, "Oh man, I'd be feeling all these things mm-hmm. and questioning in all these ways." And then you talk to them, and they're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're not being honest. No. It's because there actually is just this genuine trust in mm-hmm. God. They and, may actually have a gift of faith. Yes, yes. <laughs> they may have this gift of faith. And it, I feel like now there's some voices who would who would kind of turn Mock their it. nose up at that and kind of cross their arms at it and 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 say about it something different than what God says about right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't don't turn doubt into a virtue. Yeah. That's it. It's you almost know. like if you're not, it's the thing where to that person, it's like, well, if you're going to think that way about that, you must, you're not really thinking deeply about it. Right. Or you're not being honest and saying, saying right. those kinds of things. And it's like, no, actually, like, it's just, it's possible to trust God in right. the midst of really difficult circumstances. Totally. Yeah. 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 I think that's right. I mean, it's like doubt might be normative. God might expect that we're weak in our faith and doubting, which is why he treats us a certain way. But what we shouldn't do then, again, I'm just repeating myself, but is turn doubt into a virtue. The same way you don't want to turn, I don't know, you know, you can get in confession groups where you almost turn the the thing that you're confessing about itself into the badge that says, well, see, I'm authentically me. And it's like, no, dude, you shouldn't do that thing. I'm glad we're talking about mm-hmm. it and there's forgiveness for that, but you probably shouldn't do that thing, you mm-hmm. know? Anyways, yeah. Yeah. You can talk James. I want to talk James. I want to, I want to try to draw this distinction. Cause like yeah. this question we just asked is like, well, wait a second. Jesus welcomes doubt. I don't think it's wrong to ask questions or qu- questions different than doubt and all just some of this nuance. And it's like, and there are portions where the Bible's saying, don't do it, you know? So what does James mean? So I've got a lot more to learn around it, but here's what James is saying that I think is helpful. When you get to these passages where doubt is forbidden and you think back to Jesus, Psalm 73, and you're like, wait, I thought doubt was welcomed. The Bible's not confused and God's not confused and it's not trying to be confusing. So it must be that they're talking about different things. Mm -hmm. So the doubt of like a Thomas that Jesus meets and ministers to, it must be different qualitatively in some way to what James is talking about when he says, when you ask, ask with no doubting. And so it can't be that there's no space for these momentary, you know, doubts or these intellectual questions or these, you know, honest struggles. And the good news is, is, is I think the distinction is encouraging and I think it's challenging. So James uses this, this word double-minded and it's a really unique Greek word. It literally means double-souled. And the context is he's inviting people to ask God for wisdom and God gives wisdom generously. God's not stingy with his wisdom. He gives it to all, meaning it's not a certain kind of person that gets it and other people don't. And he gets it without reproach. It means that he's not upset that you didn't ask for it earlier. Mm. He's not 
you know, hypercritical of something about you, and so he's going to withhold it. It's God gives generously to all without reproach. And so James starts with this ask for wisdom, and then here's how God gives wisdom, and then he turns his attention to here's how to ask for wisdom, ask in faith with no doubting. And then he goes to that image, it's the wave of the sea that's tossed, you know, to and fro. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that the is not that the person is struggling with the questions that we've named, you mm-hmm. know. It's that this person has not decided if they actually want from God the wisdom they're asking for, and they haven't decided if the thing they're asking for, they want that thing from God or that God can give it. Can give it. So the idea of double sold would be, it's less about your your emotional struggles or your intellectual questions, and it's more about these divided loyalties. Mm. The idea is there's this, you might ask for wisdom from God tomorrow, but then you're gonna go seek the wisdom of the world today, mm. or I mix those up. You might ask for the wisdom, <laughs> or maybe that's, what, maybe that's what it means to be tossed mm. by the wind. But it's like, what he's saying is don't be, um, don't be disingenuous or insincere in your ask. And it actually, I think this is beautiful. It actually aligns with the way that God gives that idea that God gives generously. It's not just abundantly, but God gives sincerely. There's no mixed motivations. Mm -hmm. And so God is not unsure about whether or not he wants to give you wisdom. So don't be unsure about whether or not you want wisdom from God when Mm -hmm. you ask. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a couple of ways to think of it. I, this is a little bit crass, but it's, I think the best way to to maybe drive it home is James is saying, don't have an open relationship with God's wisdom. Mm. Open relationship is we're dating, but we see other people. We're married, but we're okay going on dates with other people, sleeping with other people. It's this, it's this breach in the covenant. It's this broken trust. What was always intended to be between two people has been opened up to others. And what James is saying is when you ask for God's wisdom, don't don't treat God's wisdom like something you have an open relationship with. Mm. You have decided in your heart you can only get it from God. The other thing I think that's helpful is what we touched on earlier is it's like the the double-minded person is the person who maybe on one side it could be this divided loyalties or on the other side there's just this undergirding cynicism that actually is the truest thing that they've believed. In other words, their faith is not looking for an object, but their faith has decided the only thing I have faith in is that there is no object. Mm. It reminded me of C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man when he says, you cannot go on seeing through things forever. Mm -hmm. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too, it is no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not, not to, to see. see at all. And that's the wave. Mm-hmm. The wave is this, it's, it's never going anywhere. It's divided in its journey. It's Proverbs will talk about the simple, how the simple is killed by their turning away. They take a few steps towards God's wisdom and then they take a step towards something else. And there's some sort of connection. And I and I I don't think I've found the best words for it yet, but there is some sort of all of that kind of taken together helps us get a sense for what James is forbidding. It's like don't 
Don't be divided in your loyalties. Don't have this open relationship with God's wisdom. And also, don't let your heart be given over to that cynicism to where if you're coming to God and you're asking for wisdom, but what you actually believe, like deepest down in your soul, is that nothing's true. You see through everything. Everything's cynical. It's the kind of person that looks at the faith that the person has that's sincere. It's like, oh, they must not be asking the right questions, or mm-hmm. they must not be thinking about this, you know, the way that they should be thinking about it. That's the kind of person that sees nothing because they see through everything. Mm-hmm. And James is saying, when you ask, God gives generously to all without reproach. And so don't be divided, cynical, disloyal in your asking for wisdom. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking that not maybe more to the first than the second cynical one, but like there's a scene in the first mummy. Uh, I don't know why it just pops in my head. Mummy was this movie a long time ago that came out and had like Brendan Fraser and other people in it. And this mummy comes back to life. Right. And, but in the beginning scene, there's a guy and he has this mummy comes back to life, right? Kind of like scary. And he pulls out a cross and he prays to God real quick and that doesn't work. So then the next thing he does, he pulls out mm. another, he pulls out a, you know, like a, a mm. star of David and he says, so, and then he pulls out, you know, a crescent and like prays to Allah. And so he just like kind of goes through everything hoping. And then finally, you know, I think he says something in Egyptian and, and something changes. And it's like, I think that's part of it. You said it, I, Ty, a second ago when you said that you do it only for to change the circumstances, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like maybe in these divided loyalties, what you're really proving to yourself is what you worship is something else mm-hmm. than God. Like if what I really want is this thing, which it's okay to want this thing, but I'll go anywhere just because I want that thing most of all, then what you're proving is that you don't really want God. Do you know what I'm trying to Dude, say? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. That's so helpful because it's like the, the point we haven't made that's the most important one is that God has already defined what he's promised to give. Yeah. If any of you lacks wisdom, mm. let him ask for it. This is at the end of, of there's this overlap between the Sermon on the Mount and James. James has more uh, overlap with the teachings of Jesus than any other New Testament letter. There are 19 overlaps between the Sermon on the Mount and James. James's teaching here on prayer overlaps with Jesus's teaching in Matthew 7 when he says, you know, ask and it'll be given to you. It's not specified there, but that's in the context of a sermon. Mm -hmm. That's in the context of blessed are the poor in spirit. That's in the context of when you fast. That's in the context of be anxious for nothing. And it comes at the end of it. And so Jesus has already drawn the lines around what you should be. If you sat there in his sermon, by the time you heard him say, ask, your heart will hopefully have already been longing for the things he's been talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's what you should ask for. Mm-hmm. And so it's not this blank check, you know, dream up your best future and ask God for it. And if you ask with enough faith and no doubting, then he's gonna give it to you. Right. It's ask for wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's it's the thing he's promised to give. Um, like there are things that when my kids ask for them, I have to think about because I haven't decided if I want them to have them. Mm-hmm. So right now my daughter really wants a second dog and it's just not gonna happen. <laughs> it's just not, thankfully she didn't listen to culture matters. So <laughs> yeah. she didn't know. But, you know, she'll ask about it and, and I'll, you know, get indecisive or stutter mm-hmm. or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. But then there are things I've already decided that I want them to have. Mm-hmm. And when they ask for those things, it's just so easy. Yeah. So the other day the same daughter came up randomly and, and she said, dad, can I have a hug? 
and there's i have already decided yeah that every i will give them more hugs than what they even want mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so that kind of thing was just easy and and that's what's happening here with god is that god has already decided that he james has written to christians those who are you know bought with the blood of jesus and being sanctified by the spirit and God has already decided those that he has called his own, he wants them to have wisdom. Mm. And so it's easy when they ask for him to say, oh, I'm gonna give you the thing that I already decided I wanna give you, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I have this lingering question, maybe as you've been processing this, cause I know we've talked about kind of like the intellectual mm-hmm. kind of tension with doubt. I'm wondering, is does this tap at all to the to the desire, I'm thinking as you alluded to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. You can't serve two masters down to, you know, Jesus's encounter with like the rich young ruler who like comes and is asking of him. And Jesus kind of gives this this opportunity in front of him and he turns and leaves. Is there is there a sense in the and this idea of like having these divided loyalties where it's like if our what we actually are desiring from God, maybe if we're with our mouth, we're asking for one thing and in our heart we're after something else. Is that is that tied into to those distinctions at all? Or how would you Yeah. Does that make sense? That's a good question. You know, I think it's there is a throughout the book of James, there's this theme of double mindedness. He'll talk about it as uh deceitfulness don't mm-hmm. be deceived you know the the what james is after is completeness wholeness perfection mm-hmm. in the life of believers and that's going to go all the way down past your actions to your intentions and that's that's jesus in the sermon on the mount mm-hmm. it's the you know you've heard that it was said he's he's trying to take that transformation that that godliness to the deepest parts of who you are I think though, and this was really helpful, so you'll probably hear it again on Sunday, but the the, the mummy thing, <laughs> it's maybe the most helpful thing for our context is mm-hmm. what James is saying is you're not, you're not trying it out to see if it works. Mm-hmm. And then when it doesn't work, you move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the, if you think about the image of the wave, it's like, what's the opposite of a wave that's tossed around? Well, it's something that has an anchor, mm-hmm. you know, that might be moved, but it, it's, it might be affected, you know, but it has something weightier than the wind mm. to keep it where it is. Come on now. And that's when you come and you, part of the invitation is ask for wisdom. And there's something about your confidence in God that you are not double sold but you have a you you have taken the anchor of your soul and you have and you have placed it in God. I think that's really good. That's helpful. I have people in mind who struggle with doubt, and Jamie and I were talking about this offline. But it's it's if you're if you're somebody who's bothered by your doubts, mm-hmm. that's a really good sign. And what I mean by that is that's a sign that you're you love God, yeah. which is the thing we're really talking you're about. You're trying to press in. Yeah, yeah, it's not that you just want his stuff. If you're bothered by the fact that you doubt him um, or that you have intellectual doubts or whatever, like I, I think what that means is that you love him, you know, which ultimately means he loves you. And so, and he does love you. And so I I, I know we talked about like a, a bit of a warning against doubt and I don't want to pull that. I think that's good, the kind of doubt we're talking about. I think we need to wrestle with it. That kind that's, 
you know, not really seeking him, but after something else, that, that double-minded kind of doubt. But I do want to just offer a comfort to those who are struggling maybe with questions about God and, and, and know that if, if you're, if you don't care, that's probably a sign of trouble. And if you do, it's a good thing. I'd also just offer this other thing, and maybe you guys might want to mention something about it, but I think sometimes our doubt comes because we have, it's connected to what we said earlier, but sometimes our doubt comes because we've built a foundation on the non-essential things. I've noticed a lot of doubts, especially around the concepts of deconstruction, is because we didn't make Jesus and his claims central. We made some sort of cultural or even tertiary issue the main thing. So sometimes people come in and then because they started having questions about, and I'll just be really frank, like the role of women in ministry. And now they, because they see that differently, they're like, well, none of it's true. Well, it's like, what were you really, what was your anchor then? Right. Mm. Or it could be, it could be any number of other things, but but I think if you're building the foundation of your faith on a tertiary issue, that's not the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I think you will be more susceptible to doubt or can be. That's not going to be the reason everyone doubts. But I think tied to this, especially this phenomenon of deconstruction, I, that's where I see it. It's like you start to question one piece of something mm-hmm. in the Christian faith and and because you know like for instance like i even people who it's like they start to think about evolution and they're like well then the earth couldn't have been created in 6 days or something you know or whatever 7 days it's like even that to me is like a is a piece of this idea of you built it on something else this wasn't about this wasn't solely about that scientific cosmology this was about something different right and so yeah i just i think to know that there is space to struggle with those things is really important and then to say that we have to build our faith on the on the the core on on the on the core issue of is jesus christ who he says he is yeah yeah our last however many minutes were really heavy on the kind of doubt the bible forbids yeah because we're in James, but then there's all this other, a, a different kind of doubt that it'd be easy. Here's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the person that saw this podcast title mm-hmm. and they've just wrestled with doubt. Maybe it's a new thing in their life. Maybe it's it's more like me and it's a persistent acquaintance, you know? The thing that we as as pastors would not want you listener to end the episode without hearing is what Adam said that so much of the even that moment where it's like ah, i don't know if i really believe this and that bothers me yeah i'm not sure how i feel about this i'm not sure how god feels about me and i want to know mm-hmm. it's like the the that doubt that moment of being bothered by it that longing that i pressed play on this podcast because i wanted help in this area mm-hmm. those are the things christians do <laughs> yeah it's mm-hmm. like the 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 presence of of that doubt in a sense if it's if it's that kind of relationship to it it actually answers the question you know because i just don't know a whole lot of people that don't care anything about god that are bothered by their doubts about god mm-hmm. you know so there's mm-hmm. some sort of a so it, the way that that it starts to turn for asaph in psalm 73 
he's got all these doubts. He's really honest about him. But in verse 17, it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Mm. And so he, with all of his doubts, he went to the sanctuary of God. He went, he went to church. Mm. Even st- with, with, a, with a heart filled with doubt, he still did the kind of thing that maybe all the non-doubters do. And maybe that's what somebody did today when they press play on this podcast, mm-hmm. that this was their going into the sanctuary of God because it's a fight for faith. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not ready to give up. And so that that is a version of the, of the anchor. Mm-hmm. That is a version of the person who has a faith that's weightier than the wind. And be encouraged, be encouraged. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from The Good Podcast Company. Be sure to check the show notes to connect with us and our guests. See you next time.